Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin and Greg Barnes. We have the band back together. Everybody's here. Ross is back from his travels. Greg is back from his travels. I'm where I've always been. And Carolina is back in Omaha. And Greg, Ross and I are going to kind of pick your brain a little bit about Omaha. I know it's one of your favorite places. (laughs) It's going to be a little warm this time around. Uh, Describe the scene in Omaha as the College World Series has made a home there. Yeah, Tommy, I I think it's a, a different vibe now than it was when North Carolina initially went on their their tear back, I guess, 12 years ago. Because back then, it was at uh, Rosenblatt, which is kind of on the outskirts of town. Uh, and it really allowed for kind of a um, college-type feel around the facility because you had you, everybody would come in and they tailgate and you have all these food trucks set up. And it was really kind of a neat atmosphere. And that was a very fun, old school place. Um, and then, of course, you know, recently, I say recently, uh, I don't know, what, eight years ago, maybe seven, eight years ago, uh, they switched and they built that huge uh, stadium downtown. Uh, it's really a kind of a pitcher's park. It's a beautiful facility. And they've really kind of built up the downtown area around it. Uh, and so it's got a much more of a kind of professional feel to it. Um, and so it's a little bit different vibe. Uh, it's still still neat. And I, I think the way that that the Omaha um, populace kind of supports the College World Series, because it is a long event. I mean, we're talking about an event that runs uh, 10, 11 days. They do a really good job of kind of filling out the seats. Because what happens is that first weekend, you know, everybody's you know, excited about it because it's their teams in the College World Series. And so they fly in Omaha and the seats are packed if the two games Saturday and Sunday uh, by a lot of out of towners, but then eventually your reality hits and people have to go back to work. And so they, they leave town, but that's when you start to see a lot of the locals really kind of come in and they, and there's still great, uh, you know, great crowds. I mean, throughout the entire week. And so they, they really treat the players like royalty. Uh, you know, they put up the, the teams at a bunch of hotels right there in the area. Uh, and they're able to use a lot of the, the, facilities um, in the area, you know, Creighton, of course, in Omaha. So North Carolina has practiced there a bunch over the years. Uh, there's a boys town, uh, very similar like a boys and uh, boys and girls club uh, out Dodge street. Uh, and so North Carolina has practiced out there before. So a lot of different areas that they utilize for these, these teams. Um, and, but the, the community support for the college world series is second to none. Uh, they do a really good job, really, like I said, really just kind of supporting the, the team, supporting the event. Uh, you know, I think the team always makes a point to go to the Drover, which is an old school steakhouse uh, in, in Omaha. Everybody knows about Zesto's milkshakes, which which are very popular out there. So a lot of 
a lot of unique uh, things because they're able to hold this event at the same place year in and year out. All these things kind of build and you get that tradition uh, that comes with, with having an event like this that is so big, but yet it's been in the same location for such a long time. Looking at TD Ameritrade Park, it looked like it opened in 2011. World Series has been going on in Omaha, Greg, like you mentioned, since 1950. And I think they're signed through maybe 2035. Um, speak to the atmosphere in, from Rosenblatt to Ameritrade. Because I know a lot of people didn't like the move. Um, the old timers, because Rosenblatt was just, a, like you mentioned, a different feel. Ameritrade is just like a, you know, at least the way it looks on TV is just another cookie cutter baseball park that um, is pretty live during the College World Series. But you mentioned the it's a pitcher's park and it can be um, death for fly balls out there. I mean, you've got to hit it a ton to get it out of there. At least you used to. Just speak to the difference over the years because Carolina's played in both. Yeah, and I think at Rosenblatt, if you go back to. Uh, my memory may fail me, but I believe it was 09 uh, when Fresno went on their big run and actually knocked North Carolina out uh, of the tournament before winning. Uh, and that team, basically, because Rosenblatt was a was a hitter's park, uh, they really you used the the home run ball, and a lot of teams out there did. Um, it was you know a lot of high scoring runs, high scoring games, uh, and it made it kind of fun to cover. And then you moved to you know Ameritrade Park, which is as I mentioned downtown. And it's real close to the river, and the the prevailing wind blows in from the outfield, and that's one of the reasons it's so you so rare to see just an abundance of home runs. And when you do see home runs, they're typically down the line, and they barely clear the fence. Every once in a while, somebody will blast one, and it'll it'll get over the fence, you know, center field. You don't see it like you used to, and that's why you get a team uh, like UCLA, for example, who was able to go on such a a run a few years ago. Uh, when North Carolina was out there, they didn't have a lot of bats whatsoever, but because they, they were able to negate the home run hitting ability of their opponents, they really relied on pitching. Uh, and so it is a, it is a pitcher's park. And that, that's one of the unique dynamics about this North Carolina team, because you know, most of the other teams that Mike Fox has taken out to Omaha have been led by dominant pitching, you know, pitching defense, and then good clutch hitting at times. And where North Carolina struggled uh, out there has been some of the hitting woes. Well, this team's built different. This team is is you led the ACC in in turn in conference play in runs per game. It's the first time in UNC history that that's happened. Uh, we know what they did in the regionals and super regionals. I mean, you know, scoring seven runs uh, in back to back games against the you know, arguably the best best pitching staff in the country. Uh, says a lot about what North Carolina can do. So that element is going to be something fun to watch. Uh, next week because maybe maybe that's the key maybe North Carolina needs a different approach uh, and and maybe that's what's going to be for for Mike Fox to finally get over the hump out there but but a lot of fun things like that to kind of follow as as we get into Omaha yeah and and Greg you know speaking on the stadium going back a little bit to the atmosphere um, how big is this stadium and uh, what's the crowd like in terms of is it families is it like a party rowdy scene I know I was at the availability on Tuesday and Mike Fox talked about how it becomes kind of a neutral fan base um, because of how many locals come to the game and are just cheering for, for good baseball, not really rooting for one team over the other. So what's the kind of, um, I guess, what you see when you walk in the stadium and how that kind of plays out over the course of the game and over the course of the week? 
Yeah, well, I think it holds roughly 25,000, and they can expand that a little bit. So it's a big, I mean, it's like a pro-size stadium. Okay. Um, it's really, really good size. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I say, like at Rosenblatt, you literally had tailgating going on. Okay. Um, and really that first weekend, because you have all these uh, fan bases from the teams that are in there, it is very much a college vibe. And you, you had the kind of the back and forth. But as you have more of the locals that kind of fill out the seats as some of those fans leave that first weekend, it's, it's, it's much more of a, uh, it is a neutral crowd, but it's a raucous crowd. I mean, they, they like to cheer for the underdog. They like to cheer for the upset. Uh, they like to cheer for, for good pitching, for, for good hitting. Uh, and it's, it's just a very fun atmosphere for the players to play in. Uh, and it's, it's very supportive. I think that's kind of the unique thing about it. And that's, that's one of the things the players will enjoy is you, as you walk up on the, on the stadium, there's still some tailgating that takes place. And there's a lot of events they have going around, you have fan fest and a lot of stuff like that as you go into the park. But once you're in there, you know, people just want to see good baseball um, and they, they really embrace kind of the dynamic of, of the setup. And so it's a fun event for the, for the players, because as you said, it's not like it's a hostile crowd towards one team or another. It's just you're cheering on good baseball and good plays and, and that type of thing. Yeah, and then um, you know, can you kind of talk us through how it works? How does the College World Series work for, work for maybe someone who you know, hasn't followed it the last couple of years or when UNC was in it in the, in the 2006-07 kind of range? Um, what's the process? I know it's in kind of two brackets right now, and, and UNC obviously opens with Oregon State at 3 o'clock on Saturday. But how does it go if they lose, they win, and what happens to get to that? Uh, quarterfinals or semifinals and finals championship series? Well, I, I think the, the best way to kind of think about it is if you look at how the NCAA tournament has played out thus far, you know, the first weekend, you got four teams out of sight. It's double elimination. Second weekend, you, you have a best of three. And that's what Omaha is, except it's those two things put together. And that's why it takes forever. Uh, so on, on Saturday, North Carolina will play in the first game, which will be a 2 p.m. first pitch in Omaha. Uh, and if they win or lose, uh, they, they move on to, to Monday and play. So you know they're going to play Saturday and they're going to play Monday. But depending on how they do in those games will determine how the rest of the week sets up. Uh, and so you, what you want to be able to do, just like what you want to do that first uh, first weekend in June for the you know, NCAA opening regional, you really want to win your first two games. Because if you win Saturday, you win Monday, now you're off, I think, until Thursday. Uh, and you're well-rested, and you've only got to win one more game to get to the championship series, which starts on Monday. But if you lose on Saturday or you lose on Monday, now all of a sudden you're having to battle your way through the loser's bracket. Now, North Carolina, uh, or at least Mike Fox and, and Scott Forbes as as coaches, they've done it both ways. You know, In 2006, they get out there, and it was real easy for them. They won three games to get to the championship series, uh, and then they played Oregon State. Well, the next year, uh, they lost, and they had to battle their way through the loser's bracket to get to the championship series against Oregon State. So they've done it both ways, and I'm sure they'll be able to use that to their advantage in terms of uh, you know, psychology if, if they win or lose or however they, they play it out. Uh, but that's kind of really the way it's set up. And what you'll see is the games that are played on Sunday, you know, the, the next two games for that bracket will be played on Tuesday. And then for the rest of the week, it's these loser bracket games trying to get to that end of the week situation, which is Thursday, Friday, where the, the winners come back into play. 
And then Saturday, if you have to have uh, kind of a, a final game to determine who advances, you see two games on Saturday. Everybody's off on Sunday. And then the championship series starts Monday. Uh, of course, you play Monday, Tuesday. And if they need a third game, they play Wednesday. So basically, it's two, it's two four-team double elimination pools. Correct. With the, the winner of each pool advancing to the championship round, which is best of three. Correct. All right. Tommy. Yeah, well, it's actually the way Carolina's, and I think the top side of the bracket sets up better, at least timing-wise, than the bottom side, top side being Oregon State, Carolina, Mississippi State, and Washington. You play Saturday and Monday, uh, win or lose. And then if you win, it's Saturday, Monday, win Monday. You don't play again until Friday. So you can get your uh, – whoever you threw on Saturday will be available again in that game, which would be the – basically the bracket championship but like greg mentioned if you lose the first game or the second game uh, you're you're going saturday monday wednesday friday saturday uh to get back to it and it's brutal on pitching Uh, the losers bracket has always been tough um i think maybe oregon state one of those years that they beat carolina they lost the first game and won their way back and then got to the championship series um but Greg, let's sort of swing um, before the, before we go to break, and then after break we'll talk more about it. But let's swing to the bracket itself. Uh, a lot of people have talked about the high number of seeds losing or whatever. I think Carolina drew, um, and it was set up weeks ago, but I think Carolina drew probably, um, not probably, I think definitely drew the toughest opening College World Series game against Oregon State. Um, because we know who's going to be pitching for Oregon State, right? And he was he was voted uh, National Player of the Year, uh, and that was released I guess earlier today. Uh, I think he's sixteen and one on the on the season. Uh, he's just been a, a phenomenal pitcher. Uh, he was not drafted due to his uh, his history, and I think that's a you know conversation we can have uh, and have a, a lengthy debate over. Uh, kind of you know how that should be handled. I think that's a very tough situation. Um, but, you know, like, like you said, you, this is a kid who has just been phenomenal. And it'd be one thing if Oregon State was just a team that had a had a pitcher who was 16-1, and one, you know, with a 2.32 ERA. Uh, but that's not the case because they've got three first-round draft picks in that batting lineup. Um, and I, I think, you know, and, and listening to uh, some of the – some of the guys like Aaron Fitt and Kendall Rogers, who are kind of the national writers and uh, some of the best in the business call, covering college baseball, uh, they seem to think uh, Nick Madrigal is, is probably the best player in the country. Uh, he's, he's, he missed half the year. Um, he's played the second half of the year, and he's batting about 400. He's driven in 32 RBI. Uh, and so, I mean, you're, you're talking about a kid who's, despite not having – a lot of playing time. He's really come on strong, but I mean, they, their entire lineup, I mean, they got, I think 10 guys that are batting over 300. Um, and so it's, it's a very stout offense. And then when you, we throw in there the fact that they've got arguably the best pitcher in the country on the mound, I think you're exactly right that in a one game situation, uh, this is a very tough draw for North Carolina. However, I think we should also say that you know, North Carolina also has Mississippi state and Washington in their bracket. Um, two teams that you know, were not regional hosts. And so really, who I think whoever wins this game on Saturday between the Beavers and Tar Heels 
is really in prime position uh, on the side of the bracket. And we go into pitching for UNC. I think it's interesting kind of how the pitching matchups work out and how you time it and, and when you you go with your number one guy, your number two guy, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, Mike Fox said he's going to go with either Cooper Criswell or um, Luca Daltrey on Saturday. What are your kind of thoughts on that, Greg, and, and how you, if you were the manager, how you kind of strategize in terms of uh, pitching, starting pitchers for the series? Yeah, I don't know that you can really go wrong. Um, I, I think the fact that you know, Luca, um, he had that hot start when he came back with two really good outings in the ACC tournament and, and against Virginia Tech. Uh, velocity was down in the tournament. Um, didn't really have have a lot of movement on his ball uh, against Stetson. But he's such a grinder. Uh, but one thing that, that I would say is, you know, if you go back to that opening weekend, um, the the call of the NCAA tournament, he pitched in a very hot day. And after that game, Mike Fox brought up the fact that, yeah, I'm mean, not sure if he hydrated as well as he needed to. Uh, that was some of the issue because you, with him being gone for for 12 weeks with that stress uh, reaction in his elbow. Uh, he didn't have the endurance that you'd want. I mean, he's still working his way back. He still hasn't thrown, uh, you know, a ton of pitches in any of these starts. And so the conditioning and the hydration was a big part of that game. And I bring that up because we're only two weeks later now, and the high on Saturday in the middle of the afternoon in Omaha is 101. So it is going to be a scorcher uh, up there on the mound. And if you, you fast forward to Monday, you're talking about, you know, 93. So about a 10 degree difference. Um, and so how do you approach that? How does, how does weather affect the guy that you throw? Uh, I'm not a smart enough baseball guy to, to be able to say one way or the other, but that certainly is something that the coaching staff is, is thinking about. Um, but in terms of their production, I mean, Cooper's been very good. Uh, I think he's won you know, five of his last six starts, been very solid for the Tar Heels. Uh, Luca, you know, was expected to be that Friday night ace, and he probably would have been had he been healthy. So I don't know that you can really go wrong with either guy. I, um, I think it's really a matter of you want to try to get that that first game win. So if you can get you know, four, maybe five innings out of Luca, then you've got some really good guys in the bullpen you can turn the ball to uh, if you need to. And maybe that's what they're thinking if they go with with Delatry in that first game. Um, but, but I'm not sure that there's a, a wrong answer there. I think with either guy, uh, as long as you get some hitting support behind him, you have to feel pretty good about their chances. Yeah, and looking at their uh, height and weights, it's funny. Uh, Cooper Criswell is 6'6", <laughs> 200. Luca yep. D'Altri is 6'6", 256. <laughs> there's a 56-pound weight difference with the, same, uh, with the same height there. It's pretty funny stuff. Yeah, Luca looks like a football player, and Cooper yeah. looks like a basketball player. So it's pretty funny. Luca, Luca's like a the guy you want getting off the the bus first for sure. That's right. <laughs> my my boys, after watching Friday in Bosch and then on TV, they, my oldest said, "Uh, that Luca guy looks like like he's old. He, like he's a grown man. <laughs> I was like, he's definitely a grown man." Let's take a quick break, come back, talk more about Carolina, Oregon State, College World Series 2018. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. 
the Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Greg, we mentioned Oregon State's pitchers, of course, Luke Heimlich, and uh, we can debate it. I'd love to have the debate because, quite frankly, I'm torn about it. I don't know if it's appropriate for this podcast, but the bottom line is he's going to be pitching, um, and we've talked about his numbers, uh, 16 wins, 151 strikeouts, um, just devastating junk, and he's lefty. And we talked about that a little bit in our last podcast because Stetson had the righties and I felt like Carolina would handle a hard throwing righty and they did with Logan Gilbert Friday uh, in Boshammer Stadium but Heimlich coming from the left side it just it seems to me every time I've seen Carolina face a tough lefty whether it's Rodon or you know some of those guys for UCLA back in the day uh, maybe because they were all basically first round MLB pitchers that had something to do with it. But your take on Carolina's lineup, I mean, Dutchess and Bush have really been solid. I think they're going to be extremely key because I think Carolina's got to get out on a hot start. You do not want to get behind against a guy like Heimlich. Uh, Your take on that, the the offense, I think this is a tournament or a World Series that Carolina's going to need six, seven, eight runs an outing. Yeah, probably so, Tommy. I think that's fair. But but I think really the way that North Carolina um, ha- has been hitting, it's not just one guy that they've kind of had to rely on. Um, I, I think that's the, kind of a key component. Uh, they've had a lot of success up and down, up and down the lineup. You know, it all starts with Michael Bush, uh, who, who's been one of the the hot hands of late. I mean, he's got eleven RBI and and five NCAA postseason games. Um, so that's that's kind of a critical component of it. But if you look at the stats, it's not as though North Carolina has had these overwhelming numbers, whether they're going against lefty or righty. Years ago, uh, you did have some of those issues, and that hasn't necessarily been the case uh, this year. You know, they, they have a lot of lefty bats. Um, but I think the fact that w- when you look at what North Carolina has done, yes, you got to have uh, Daughtry's and you got to have Bush be productive early. Uh, but just in terms of the numbers, I mean, they, they've been so successful up and down the lineup. I mean, if, if you just look at uh, you know, Cody Roberts, now that he's back from the groin injury, uh, he's been very solid. Brandon Riley is one of the hottest bats in the country the last month of the season. Ike Freeman's proven that he's a guy that can really drive and runs. Um, and then you've got you know, a variety of other guys. Zach Gahagan's really stepped up. Ash McGee has slow start to the season. He's really turned it on. And so you've, you've got a number of guys, and that's why in the NCAA tournament there's been a couple games where they've had six or seven guys driving runs. Um, and that's really the key component because if you're, if you're a pitcher and you know that you only have one or two guys really to key in on, you can pitch around them and not give them anything to hit. But there's, that's not really the setup of, of North Carolina's uh, lineup. I mean, you don't know where the runs are going to come in from. I, I want to say it was maybe the A&T game that they won 11s up. Um, but the three, four, and five hitters didn't have a hit. And you say, okay, those guys didn't have a hit. Maybe it's a competitive game. No, it wasn't because everybody else pitched in. Um, And so I I really think that they're just very well-rounded. They have a very smart approach at the plate. 
you know, they've gotten into the, the analytics pretty heavily. Um, you know, they don't really care so much about batting average. It's a lot about on-base percentage. Uh, you know, they, they really want to make sure that, hey, can, can somebody be clutch? And that's one of the key things about Michael Bush is he, he is batting well. I mean, he's batting like 333. Um, but what's really impressed, you know, Scott Forbes, for example, is the fact that you know, when North Carolina needs a hit, needs to drive in some runs, more often than not, Bush is getting the job done. Um, and so that, that's kind of what you look for. Can you get on base? Can you avoid striking out? Uh, can you put some some hits in the play when, when guys are in scoring position with a sack fly or, or moving runners uh, with sack bunts? And they've been able to do that consistently up and down the lineup, and I think that's really been the key. And so while, yes, you know, as we said earlier, a guy like Heimlich, who is, is such a good pitcher, arguably the, the best pitcher in the country, and yes, he is a lefty, uh, those things don't set up necessarily well. I think North Carolina's bats have been productive enough where they can kind of um, mitigate some of those those concerns at the plate. Ross, let me ask you about sort of the mood of the team and, and the comments you got from availability earlier in the week. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. Carolina went to the College World Series repeatedly there in 06, 07, and on but haven't been there a lot. I think when 13 was the last time. So these guys are all new to it. Saw a lot of their social media, you know, getting on the plane, getting ready to go. Uh, any nerves, any discussion of, you know, the moment, the enormity of the moment for Carolina baseball. Uh, what did Coach Fox and what did those guys have to say about that? Yeah, so we talked to uh, Coach Fox and Michael Bush and Luca D'Altri on um, Tuesday. So, I mean, I think the main thing is that they're really trying to enjoy this. And I think Mike Fox has conveyed it to his team that, you know, this doesn't happen that often. And even though UNC did have a time there when they thought that a College World Series was a lock for for the Tar Heels, that there was a, a stretch of time when they didn't go. And so to enjoy the moment, to enjoy every aspect of it, to celebrate in the locker room, to do the dog pile after the Super Regional, um, and just kind of cherish a really special thing for, for college athletics and something that not every – college baseball, uh, baseball player gets to go through. Um, and, you know, this is an unknown territory for this team. Uh, of course, the question was was broached about playing Oregon State, the team they lost to in the finals in the championship series in 2006 and 2007. And, you know, Mike Fox, like, the, these kids were seven and eight when it went <laughs> seven, eight, nine, you know, really young when that happened. And it's just not a factor because it's just a completely different team and it's it's not a relevant um, topic of discussion. So I guess that mental aspect of going against a team that UNC has lost to in, in, in dramatic fashion uh, in the past in Omaha is not really a, a factor there. And what I always notice about UNC baseball from, you know, I don't, I don't cover them full time, but you see stuff here and there on social media, you see stuff um, on videos that the Diamond Heels Twitter account posts out. It's just, it's just a loose, good, quality group of, of guys that have that like each other they like playing for each other there's good chemistry I, I think greg has a story coming out about the the team chemistry and how that kind of helps the team and, and mike fox and the players were asked about that and just you know playing for each other and enjoying the time you spend with each other and, and wanting to help each other out uh on the field in certain scenarios is a big part of this team um similar to kind of unc basketball and how it just seems like they're having fun out there and you kind of see that the different types of social media that we see. Um, 
you saw one of the players doing the worm uh, on the on the, the breakdancing move, the worm in, in the locker room. And of course, all the locker room celebrations with Mike Fox. And it just seems like a pretty loose team, um, but a team that knows they're good and knows their expectations for, for, for Tar Heel baseball and is ready to, you know, kind of get after it in Omaha. And one more thing. There was a talk about, you know, when the team was 7-7 seven and seven and, and when that kind of turn was made to put together a really good regular season. They all said the uh, the 1-0 loss to Gardner-Webb was kind of a look in the mirror time for this team, how they just realized that that's not acceptable. You know, losing teams like that and playing the way they were playing is just not acceptable for, for Diamond Heels baseball. And that's kind of where the shift was made. And, and once the bat started clicking and you know obviously they did pretty well on the mound as well uh this team started to roll and it's it's been pretty fun to watch um and obviously getting to where they are now it's been a, a success for this team that, that's interesting that they highlighted that because mike is as pointed to the previous weekend uh, which is where they, they lost the series at louisville uh, but with that being that the first series acc series of the season north carolina lost the first two games there and so the record was not very good and not, had not had a good start to the season uh, and went into that Sunday game. And Mike said he was really kind of anxious to see how the team would respond. And instead of coming out flat, they come out with a ton of en- energy. They won that game. And he really said, he said, look, you, you start off 0-3. That's a pretty big hole. But now you're 1-2 and instead. Um, and even though the Gardner-Webb game was that next week, uh, Pittsburgh came in the following weekend. They swept them. So all of a sudden, now you're four and two. You've got some momentum. Um, so yeah, that, that the first couple of weeks of March, I think, is really kind of where this team had some adversity. They gelled. Uh, they decided they they you had to play better, and then they've been on quite the tear ever since. Yeah, it is sixty-one ball games. It is a long <laughs> season. I mean, that's. That's as long as it gets in college athletics. Greg, let me ask you about Mike Fox. And, Ross, I know you you heard his comments, but, Greg, you've covered him a long time. You've been to Omaha plenty of times to see it. Uh, Do you think he feels pressure to get this done? And I know, you know, they haven't even opened the College World Series yet, but your thoughts on what Mike Fox himself feels, not what he says, but what do you think he feels going to Omaha for, what's this, the seventh? Seven of time since they yeah. So you, I, I think, your thoughts on that? I think that's a great question. And I don't think it's a matter of pressure. Um, yeah, I talked to Scott Forbes about this and I asked him, I said, how has how Mike changed since you know, 2013? You know, it's been five years since UNC has been back to a place where it felt like they were going every year. And Scott said, you know, he, he really hasn't changed. He goes about his business. Um, he knows what works. And, you know, they have changed how they've recruited a little bit because once upon a time, you know, Major League Baseball wasn't as uh, wasn't scouting the way they are now. And so now uh, you, you're 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 not as likely to get a guy like Kyle Seeger uh, to campus. You're not as likely to get a guy like Colin Moran to campus. So you have to do you have to change up how you recruit a little bit. So they have adjusted there and they have included some more analytics. But in terms of like his approach, he hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, and, and in talking with Mike, I, I think really what has struck me is you're after the after the Chapel Hill Regional victory where they beat Houston. I was very interested to see how the team responded, and they come out after the game, they shake hands. There's no dogpile. 
Okay, well, you know, we all see that. We say, okay, well, they're they're taking this serious. This is business. You know, they they're bouncing back from what happened last year. And Mike made the point to go in the locker room after that game and say, "Look, guys, I get it. You're serious. You're wanting to to advance and get the College World Series. All these things, but you have to enjoy the moment. You have to embrace this because this may be the only time. This may be the last time you get to do this. So enjoy it. And so to me, that really just kind of suggested that that it maybe it was something where uh, you kind of I don't want to say you get used to it, but you, you're kind of you're not surprised when you go to Omaha. And then you have this stretch where you don't go and you realize, okay, well, it really is tough to get out there. Um, and so maybe you, you appreciate it more. Um, and I think maybe in that regard, there's, there's not as much pressure that he's actually going to be able to enjoy it and be in the moment more. And then we, you know, what happened after beating Stetson, they dogpiled. Um, and so I think that kind of really speaks that the, that the players understand that they've got to have fun. The coaching staff knows they've got to have fun with this. Yes, it's number seven, but I really look at it like Roy Williams looks at the final four. Like what you want to do as a coach is you want to be able to field a team that is good enough to compete for a spot in the final four or a team that is good enough to compete for a spot in the college world series. Cause there's so much luck and fortune that has to take place for you to actually win a national title. Um, that, that is tough to say, well, I mean, you know, if we don't win the national championship, then I don't think we had a good year. You, you can't do that. Uh, I mean, I guess if you're, you're Alabama in football, you can do that, but you really can't do that most teams. And so they've done that. They've put together a team that is good enough to get to Omaha. Uh, you know, they're, they're a team that has the chance, you know, if they can win this game Saturday especially, uh, t- to make a, a deep run here. And so I would, I would just think that, that Mike is really just choosing to embrace this a little bit more and, and enjoy it a little bit more. And I think by doing that, it takes some of the pressure off. It, yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. He was a little more chirpy and a little more fired up during that Stetson series, though, it felt like. Didn't you think, Greg? I mean. Yeah, for sure. It, he was as mad about the ball call. I, I still didn't, hadn't figured that out. The ball penalty or whatever they called on somebody get, slow getting out of the dugout. But he, Ike he Freeman, seemed yeah. more fired up and angry. Yeah, but that particular play, you Mike. Mike said it was it was his fault. He he, <laughs> the the ump offered, uh, or kind of suggested that he call a timeout, and Mike was kind of caught off guard and didn't call a timeout, and then they got the ball penalty. But yeah, I mean, he's he's certainly has shown some, some some more of a, a fiery side, um, and I think that's a good thing for him. But again, I think that goes back to it's been a while since he's been in this situation, and so now okay, I, I remember what this feeling is like. Let's get after it, and so. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if there is any extra pressure on him out in Omaha. But uh, and just a little bit that I've talked to him, I don't sense that at all. Yeah, I, I went into the press conference on Tuesday kind of thinking about how to kind of ask a similar question, you know, why maybe he hasn't been able to win the big games. Uh, I ended up not asking it because Aaron Beard kind of, yeah, I, I never, I never really operated much with Mike Fox. I don't want to piss him off too much, but you know, that's I think that's a concern with fans. Like they, they get there a lot, and and well, not you know, they get there relatively a lot, but they've never come home with the uh, the College World Series title. And I think, you know, it's kind of something that Dean Smith went through for a little while at Carolina before he won his first one in '82, and, and definitely Roy Williams dealt with at Kansas. 
um, getting there, getting to the final four, getting the championship games, and not be able to to do it before he came to Carolina. So it's definitely a similar situation, and just uh, you know being a solid, really, really good coach, but just not be able to kind of clinch it because it's so hard to do. Um, and we, Mike Fox, there were a lot of questions asked to him about himself and what he's changed and if he's changed anything. Kind of what you talked about, Greg and. You know, I think he's changed some things in terms of how he builds chemistry with the team. And he, I think he kicked some players off the team a couple of years ago that, that didn't lend themselves to the unselfishness that he desires. And, um, you know, he did get introspective during a, a tough stretch when they didn't make the AC tournament and when they weren't going to the playoffs um, and to just making sure that he was doing all, all the right things and, and bringing a positive attitude and, and just – it was, it felt like he had spent some time, you know, making sure he was doing everything the right way and that it wasn't, you know, something, is, if there's anything he could change to, to make sure that UNC baseball was kind of on the right path. And it seems like you know, they had a great season last year as well. Um, and this season as well with, with the chemistry of the team. And it seems like things are kind of rolling back to where they were uh, in previous seasons. Good stuff there. Carolina, Oregon state. Two o'clock out there, three o'clock here on ESPN. Greg, you'll be there. Uh, what's your schedule like, brother? Are you, are you ready for Omaha and 100 degree heat for the next week and a half? <laughs> I guess I'm going to be eating a, a lot of Zesto's ice cream. Um, that some and, Omaha steaks. I'll be at the driver for sure. Uh, yeah, that's that's the unique dynamic about it because the games are spread out so much, and it's you know it's all for TV. But instead of having you two games a day, once you get into the you know, past the, the first uh, four days, you start having just one game at night. And like you mentioned, Tom, it used to be, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it used to be you'd play Saturday, Monday, Thursday, but now it's Saturday, Monday, Friday. So if you win those first two games, you've got a long break there. Uh, and so that that leads some some time to uh, get into some, uh, some nonsense out in Omaha. So that'll be fun. <laughs> I, I, I seem to remember maybe I'm thinking about uh, Little League or something that if you lost, you had to play every day to get back to the winner's bracket to win the loser's bracket. Not anymore. ESPN's got it spread out. Carolina, Saturday, Monday, win or lose, and then looking ahead to the bracket side or the bracket championship and then on to the championship series greg ross is always fun appreciate y'all taking the time to join me and that'll do us for tonight see you tommy thanks tommy thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of unc sports your home for tar heel football basketball and recruiting